0: Amen. Go ahead and, and uh, get first in your Bible to Acts chapter 15. Yeah, we had some basic rules at the house that were broken. Rule number one is always no pooping or peeing in Papa's pool. And, um, you know, we in the summer, we, we turn our hot tub down to like 90. So they think it's a pool. We, I just call it a cool tub. And, um, you know, not sure of all what went on in there. Uh, rule number two is, is no peeing without your diaper on, and we definitely broke that one, Um, so there was a lot of things that went on, a lot of things that went on, Um, (laughs) yeah, Um, appreciate you being in our marriage uh, class uh, today, and uh, I I really, I, I congratulate you on just working on your marriage Uh, always uh, things to make okay things good, to make good things better, to make uh, good things great. I mean, God really, he wants this relationship in your home to be to be right. He, he designed it for that. Uh, before we answer any questions, just going to review the things that we review every time. Again, because I just want them deeply in your mind and heart. Number one, nothing can be taken back that's done to this point. What's done is done. Number two, all that any of us can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, they can change and be better. Number three, if you're struggling, you did not get where you are in a day, so you're not going to get out in a day. Uh, but by the grace of God, you can get out. Number four, you can only control one person in the world, and I ask that you focus on that one in your own home and and in this class. Uh, Remember this simple thing. Anytime even one person is controlling themselves, things will be much better. Anybody, (laughs) instead of two people out of control. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. Uh, God is love. If you don't love, you can love with God involved. If you don't love enough, you can love more with God involved. Uh, number six, no one's destined to repeat the home in which you were raised if it was bad. You can succeed. Number seven, no one's assured to have a great marriage if you are raised in a great home. You can fail. Number eight, the marriage you're in now is the one you're supposed to be working on. And number nine, the person to whom you're married now is a person to whom you are supposed to be married. Uh, our questions today uh, continue to make me feel uncomfortable and they will make you uncomfortable because last week we spent our whole lesson talking about the physical relationship between a husband and wife. Uh, the questions are all related to that and my intention is to be done with this subject at this point and if you have more questions, uh, come and see me with your spouse uh, and you know we can talk personally about it. Uh, then don't come and talk to me about this stuff unless you're a dude. Uh, question number one: Is it wrong to have sex just because, uh, to not have sex just because you don't want to, uh, even though your spouse wants to? Uh, because of 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through uh, 5, I believe every spouse ought to make the effort uh, to please their spouse at all reasonable times. Uh, what that means is some people are going to have to make effort when you don't really want to. And what it means is somebody is probably not going to be able to be together as much as they want to. But because life is what it is, and because we're all physical beings, there are times when you're going to have to resist your spouse's advances. Uh, it should not be done often based on 1 Corinthians uh, chapter seven. And ideally, uh, it would be with some assurance of your love, and even more ideally, with some plan or promise for some future time. Uh, question number two, is it normal to have make-up sex after a disagreement? Uh, normal is whatever a husband and wife agree to and works for you. Uh, it's, it's okay whenever you two agree to be together. Uh, reasons for being together are all over the map. Uh, God purposely gave marriage intimacy to strengthen a husband and wife bond and to provide opportunity for personal uh, conversation and affirmation of your relationship. And so, you know, if you have a serious disagreement, it's, I think it's great to have an affirmation that you're both committed to making your relationship work. Uh, Question three. My husband and I have a different view on the sexual relationship and constantly fight about it. What should I do? Uh, Begin by asking yourself if you have uh, God's view on your physical relationship. If both people change their view to be the same as God's view on your physical relationship you're only gonna have minor disagreements over this rather than major ones but you still will, of course have disagreements you can only control yourself so carefully look at what you think and feel and uh, root out any wrong thinking hard feelings guilt or resentment in this area of your life Um, question number four what is appropriate for spicing up our physical relationship how far is too far Uh, Is oral sex wrong? Uh, It's neither right nor wrong. Uh, It's an issue of personal preference. It's not unbiblical to touch your mouth on a neck or an ear, and they were designed to hold up a head and hear sounds. Uh, Make sure you and your spouse are both comfortable uh, in your intimate relationship, and if one spouse is uncomfortable with what the other spouse considers to be spicing up, then it's not appropriate, and it's too far. Uh, Remember, uh, this area of your life has much less to do about pleasing yourself and just being a couple. Uh, Question number five, how do I enjoy sex after being raped as a young person and after going through a divorce? That's a really old question. I think I was asked that um, eight times ago, and the first time I did this, and I've had, over the years, questions like this uh, all the time. Uh, How do you have a healthy sex life after being sexually abused? I mean, similar questions uh, to that. Uh, Let me first say I'm really sorry that you've been through that incredibly traumatic event. Um, There are just some things that are very difficult to overcome. Uh, But by the grace of God and wise thinking, uh, I believe that we can overcome anything. Uh, You have to begin by forgiving the person who raped or abused you. Uh, You don't do that because they deserve it. You do that for Christ's sake. And if you don't do that, you will always have this bitterness and anger and resentment that will forever just pollute your mind and and your heart. And I I know when we, I, I may when this class is done, spend a couple weeks uh, in here just on, on forgiveness and, and I know we hesitate to forgive somebody for doing something you know like that because we we want to see them brought to justice but in the end you, you are just in bondage to them all your life until you, to, you forgive them uh, if you're strong enough to do so and the statute of limitations hasn't passed I, I wouldn't hesitate to bring it to the right authorities you know, listen, uh, if someone doesn't find courage to do that, that person may do it to somebody else. And um, I would basically make the issue a daily matter of prayer. Um, as much as you can, uh, talk to your spouse about it. Uh, you know, sometimes these things are really, really difficult to talk about. And, you know, there might be things that trigger Bad memories in a special way that you can. If your spouse knew that that w- was a trigger for you, the, you know that they they might avoid that. But uh, you can have the victory over in this, and 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 by the grace of God, if you get the victory over this. Listen, there there will be people that you can help, depending on whose survey you read, and how you define the term sexual abuse. Uh, between twenty and sixty percent. Of women they say have been sexually abused and again it just depends on the semantics of, of, of all that and please don't hear anything I just said as I'm making light of what happened or pretending that it's easy to face or, or, or I, I, not at all not, not at all I'm just saying you've got to want to get over this and you've got to forgive you've got to get the Lord's help And uh, get sound, biblical, personal counsel with the specifics of your situation uh, with your spouse there, if if that's possible. Question number six, how do you handle a situation if the wife has more desire for sex than her husband? Uh, Almost never do a husband and wife have the same desire for frequency in this area of their life. Uh, Sometimes people make the mistake of, of thinking it's always the husband. Who wants more sex than a wife? Uh, that's usually the case, but not always. Uh, and basically, it's really the same advice that you would give a husband. You know, listen, uh, there's some middle ground between how much one prefers and how much the other one uh, prefers. You say, what really bothers me, uh, and, and I've had this turn into, some woman will turn into Something really bothers me to hear someone talk about how much their husband wants to be with them when, when I want to be with my husband more than he wants to. And and what I would simply say to you is, listen. It it bothers people with no children when someone in the church talks about parenting, and it bothers people in the church who are single when someone talks about marriage. I mean, all all I would say to you is, is, from every message, no matter what it is, take the parts that most apply to you and and, and, and apply them, you know, and and you've got to handle this uh, that way. And if you have some big issues, get some personal counsel on it if it's a big problem in your marriage. Again, ideally with your spouse there. Uh, Question seven, uh, who would be better to talk about the birds and bees with our preteen son? (laughs) Um, First off, uh, I commend you on wanting to be the person who tells your children about this. You know, uh, I'm not going to do that, but if I ask you to hold up your hands if your parents told you about the birds and the bees versus you heard about it on the street from friends and then later learned that some of the things you were taught by your friends were not very accurate, uh, I I commend you on wanting to do this. In an ideal world, uh, both a mom and a dad would be comfortable enough uh, speaking about uh, an intimate physical relationship that you could both be there. You know, uh, if both of you don't want to be there, uh, which is fine. Uh, I would recommend that mom talk to the daughter. I would recommend that dad talk to the boys. In our particular case, Sharon preferred not to be there. Uh, we talked to our two older boys between fourth and fifth grade. We talked to Caleb between fifth and sixth grade. And uh, I think his older brothers were shocked. I, I think we might have waited a little too long on him, and he knew a couple things. Um, but but listen, you, you, you have to make a decision as a parent. Uh, you, you, some kids, I mean, man, they're, they're just very young, and they're just asking all kinds of questions, and they're curious, and, and some of them, because of the circumstances of your relationship, are exposed to things younger. You, you just get ahead of it. Get ahead of it. it re, remember what I said last week? It is so important that our children be taught right about this, remember, Uh, A physical relationship with a husband and wife, it is not dirty, it's private. And if we treat it like dirty, then we give our children hang-ups that they're going to have to overcome someday, instead of treating them that it's private, and something to be enjoyed by both a husband and a a wife. And so I'm done with this subject, and to that you say amen, and to that I say amen. Um, And... and (laughs) I would prefer not to touch on this subject, but I would be doing you a great disservice if I'm trying to help your marriages and and just pretend like this is not a major source of disagreement with husbands and wives, which really brings us to our subject that we're going to begin today and spend three weeks on, which is fair fighting. Um, Or you could call it, how can we disagree without hurting one another? Uh, My wife is here. Uh, I can't. I, it's been decades, uh, by the grace of God, that we've had anything someone would call a fight. Uh, decades. I, I, it's been decades since, well, she probably has never raised her voice to me. It's not her personality. But decades since, 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 since I've raised my voice to her. We just don't do that. My, my son is here. I mean, I, I couldn't make that statement. Um, they lived with us for 15 months after they got married. I couldn't make those statements if it wasn't true. And I say that not because we don't disagree. We disagree all the time. In fact, this week when we went back into parenting mode for five days, you know what it reminded me of, one of the things? How many extra things we have to disagree over when we're trying to handle children. You know, because what happened when our kids grew up and moved out, that whole set of things that we had to conflict over, they're gone. And now, you you know, just thing after thing after thing throughout the day. And disagreeing, it's normal, it's healthy. But if you and I don't understand that there's ways we can disagree and make our home more peaceful or ways we can disagree and make our home just a battleground, then we're never going to have our homes be what the Lord intended. You should be in your Bible in Acts chapter 15. We're going to spend three weeks on this subject and just talk about a lot of different aspects. It Really, all, all of it as its root accepts the premise we're going to disagree and accepts the premise that There's ways that we can disagree that are good ways to disagree and healthy and ways that we can disagree that are very hurtful for our relationship and our children if we have them. Acts chapter 15 verse 36 says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname is Mark. By the way, uh, John Mark was Barnabas's nephew. And John Mark would be what we call a church kid. And um, his mother's name was a lady named Mary. And they were so involved in, in the church in Jerusalem that when they had a prayer meeting for Peter being jailed, they had it at his mom's house. Okay? And, and so Barnabas was in that church. He's a leader in the church, it's a church family, Mark is his nephew, verse 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with the work, uh, with them to the work. He said, what's that mean? On their first missionary journey, they took John Mark with them. Well, after they made like a, just a couple of stops, for whatever reason, John Mark said, I can't take this anymore, and he went home. And so you have his uncle Barnabas, who was on the missionary trip uh, when, when John Mark left, and you have Paul, who was on the missionary trip when John Mark left, and now Paul says, hey, let's go check on everybody in all these other countries and places, see how they're doing, and uh, Paul says, I don't think we should take John Mark. Barnabas says, we should take John Mark. Verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them, that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. By the way, Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so what that means is he took Mark and he went home. Verse 14, Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. So the church says, you know what? We agree with Paul on this. And we're going to recommend Paul for this missionary trip. And Barnabas, as I said, went to Cyprus and went home. Verse 41, and he, that's Paul, uh, he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the the churches. Listen, these are two godly men. They were great friends in life. They were great friends in the faith. Barnabas had been key in Paul being accepted in, in the church. But this happened over, this sharp, this contention, this sharp contention happened between uh, how to handle a family member. And by the way, how do we handle family is one of the four great sources of our disagreements. Uh, and sadly, uh, not too many people think rationally or godly when it comes to their own family. I mean, a lot of people, they're ready to drop the hammer on someone else's family member who failed. And they're right ready to forgive and bring back. Someone in their family who failed. And um, sadly, again, I'm, I'm different than, than many uh, of you. My wife and I came into the church. We didn't have any friends or family there. I mean, now, 37 years later, after raising our children in the church, by the grace of God, we do have family here. But, but we came, and th- there was no family there. I, I understand how difficult that is, and, and I've watched... Sometimes people not being handled the same way because they're, quote, family. And it should, should not be, especially in the church. Um, this sharp contention is going to happen, not just to people in ministry who have honest disagreements. It's going to happen between husbands and wives. You say, why? Uh, starting, you spend a lot of time together. I mean, Paul and Barnabas spent a lot of time together, and and the more time you spend with someone, the easier it is to have things to conflict with. Listen, it's very easy for you to have very little conflict with me. Most of you, you just barely see me. But your spouse, you're with them all the time. So it's easy to have sharp conflict when you spend a lot of time together. It's easy to have sharp conflict when the issues are big. This was a big issue. This was not, hey, should he wear brown sandals or black ones? I mean, this was who goes on the missionary journey? This is the work of God. I mean, this was over an important issue. And listen, when you are making family decisions over long-term financial investments, uh, debt issues, how to handle your children, uh, all there is a lot of big decisions and issues and it's so easy to have sharp conflict when you're with someone a lot and the issues are, are big it, you know it just couldn't be ignored and, and by the way uh they had strong personalities both of them did L- listen paul and barnabas were not like little weenie sorts of dudes i mean these guys were strong opinionated strong conviction And listen, in your home, many of you have two strong-willed people. And by the way, I I don't think strong will is bad. I prayed for strong-willed children. I don't believe anybody succeeds well in life if they don't have a strong will. And certainly won't do anything for Christ without a strong will. My wife is quiet, but she's a strong-willed woman. Listen, she would do way better in life without me than I would do without her. She's a strong... Listen, when you have two strong personalities, it's easy for the contention to be sharp. Strong personalities, important issues, time together, and even godly men like Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, and you and I are going to have it too. In fact, if you're sitting here thinking, wow, you know what, someday... My husband and I, or my wife and I, we're going to be mature enough to where we won't disagree anymore. If that's what you think is going to happen, you're going to be disappointed. And remember, our expectations most often determine whether we're either happy or frustrated with the same thing. You will continue to disagree. Remember, God did not expect us to think the same on every issue. If we think the same on every issue, one of us becomes unnecessary. Uh, God expects us to think together. There's a reason God purposely made the husband the head of the home and God purposely made the wife the heart of the home because every situation needs both things, not just one, both. And what that means is every husband and every wife Both bring something important to every situation, and you are going to have situations in your life when you will disagree, but that does not mean you ever have to have a serious fight. You see, how you and I handle these inevitable disagreements will in large part determine how peaceful our home is. I, I don't lift your hand, but if I said to lift your hand, if you want to have a peaceful home, every hand would go up. But yet if I were to privately ask you, are you really doing the things to create a peaceful home, you know what, I don't think every hand could honestly go up. Listen, there are a lot of homes where the husband and wife genuinely love each other and yet they handle their conflicts and disagreements so poorly that their house is a battleground. And what happens when you handle your disagreements like that, you erode the genuine love that you have for each other. And I would say this, uh, handling our disagreements poorly is one of the biggest reasons for unhappy marriages Unstable homes, and ultimately divorce. Go ahead back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 12. We've got several things. Like I said, I'm going to spend three weeks on this. Uh, some ways to improve the way we handle our disagreements. You could call these rules for fair fighting. Say, well, what if my spouse doesn't play by these rules? Well, you can't control your spouse, right? If you play by these rules, it will make your disagreements less—not <laughs> go away, but less. Uh, ways to improve handling our disagreement. Here's number one: uh, be careful how you talk to your spouse when you disagree. Be careful how you talk to your spouse when you disagree. Notice, I want you to notice the terms, the scriptures use to describe our words. Proverbs 12, uh, 25 says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Notice a word can be good. Notice the effect of a good word on a heart. It makes a glad heart. Turn up a few pages of Proverbs 15, verse 23. It says, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good is it? N- notice what causes uh, joy, uh, the right kind of an answer. Notice when you speak a word at the right time in due season, that it's good. Look at chapter 16 and verse 24. It says, and pleasant words are as in honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Notice words there can be described as pleasant. Notice they are in honeycomb. Notice their effect on your soul. They're sweet. And by the way, it affects your health. The conflict you create day to day in your home affects your health. Look at chapter 18, verse 8. In contrast to what we were just reading, it says here the words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Notice that words can cause wounds. Notice they hurt us inside. Look at chapter 25 and verse 11. It says, a word fitly spoken, that's properly spoken, or spoken the way it should be spoken. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. And he makes a just a a portrait of what the right kind of words are. And he talks about them as being an apple of gold in a pitcher of silver. We could go on and on. Psalm 64, 3 says, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot arrows, even bitter words. It surprises no one when I describe words this way. And it should surprise no one that the Bible has a lot to say about our words because our words are so important. It's a real tragedy that a lot of people, they actually feel, as long as I only say something but don't do something, it's no big deal. That is really, really false i have no doubt that in this room are people who are hurting and who've been hurt a lot because of things your spouse has said to you i remember miss golly it's a long long time ago i was a brand new christian I used to work with this guy named danny he was not real nice guy he, he he wasn't a believer and he was just real upset and i was talking to him and He said, my wife wants to divorce me. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. He was in tears. He said, I've I've never cheated on her. Uh, I said, what happened? And he said, here's what he said. I've never forgotten. This is probably 30-some years ago. He said, when we were fighting, I said to her, I don't know why I married you. And she never got over it. Think about that. That sentence, spoken in anger, became the spark that became a blaze that destroyed her heart. Careless words. He didn't mean him. He loved her. Careless words words. Don't get me wrong. I I think that's a terrible thing to say. I think she shouldn't have gotten over it. I don't think that's a good reason to to, to divorce. But listen, those are the kind of power that our words have when we carelessly speak them. That famous old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but uh, words or names can never hurt me. I mean, that might be true physically, but it's certainly not true emotionally. The Bible describes our words as swords and arrows and wounds that can cause division and strife and pain, or our words can be pleasant, they can be honeycomb, they can be sweet to the soul, they can be apples of gold and pitchers of silver. I wonder how careful we are how we speak to our spouse. I wonder how careful we are when we speak to our spouse when we're angry. I wonder how careful we are when we speak to ourselves, to our spouse, when we disagree. You see, our words will never get any better as long as we give ourselves permission to say them. I've asked a lot of people this in, um, you know, private marriage counseling and sometimes in premarital counseling. I will ask them this. I say, why don't you get a wife out and sta- a knife out and stab them when you're angry? and they usually, they don't know why. By the way, some people, when they're angry, do get a knife out and stab somebody. Why don't you do it? Can I tell you why you don't? Because in your own mind, you've decided that to get a knife out and stab somebody is inappropriate and wrong, and you're never going to do it. You know what would change the way you handle disagreements? To just decide there's some things that are inappropriate and wrong to say and then under no circumstance will you ever say them. I mean, just like a knife. I would never get a knife out and stab my spouse. Or say, You know what? I would never say, fill in the blank. It'll make all the difference in the world. It only takes one person controlling their tongue to make the situation 90% better. Remember, it, it, it takes two people to have a fight. If any one of you decides, I'm not going to fight, you'll never have a fight. Disagreements are inevitable. Fights are all avoidable. So here's some advice for handling our words. Please go back first to Proverbs 15. Advice for handling our words. Listen, I, you say, well, if you'd have known what they did or what they said, and you give your reason, to, you give yourself a reason to pick up the knife. Why don't you get your gun and shoot them? I would never do that. It's inappropriate. It's wrong. Why don't you just add other things to that list? Here's number one, avoid yelling. (laughs) Proverbs 15.1. And I've got this highlighted in yellow in my Bible. It's just a great principle. Soft answer, turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know, one of the things I learned in, in dealing with anybody who's angry is the best thing you can do is to stay calm. It is hard for you to keep yelling if your spouse is not yelling. But what we do, and, and, and we know this in a, in a work environment, we, we, we know not to just go off on somebody. Or there, there are some people that do. Most decent people would not do that. But you know, we somehow give ourselves the right to, quote, go off on our, on our spouse, and then sometimes even brag about it. You know, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Now, from your surveys, 17 of the 24 surveys that were turned in uh, said that you yell. Uh, By the way, just because 70% of the people do it doesn't make it all right. Uh, Do you know the problem in a disagreement is almost never that they didn't hear you, so you need more volume? Uh, Almost never. Now, if you're dealing with someone who's semi-deaf like me, that can happen. Uh, but, But most of the time, the problem is not a volume problem, and yet we still yell. Using a gentle tone diffuses a situation instead of pouring gasoline on it. Here's the second thing when it comes to advice for handling our words. Avoid using words like always or never. Uh, They are almost always not accurate. You never do this. You always do that. Almost never (laughs) is that accurate. And, And so the more... We don't use those in disagreements, the better. Here's number three. Avoid conflict in front of your children whenever possible. I know some of you don't have children, but some of you will someday. Uh, Somebody turned in the question before, how do we keep from arguing in front of our children? This sounds really simple. But you know there's other things you've decided not to do in front of the children. All right? Why don't you just decide not to argue in front of them? Are, are, are we that out of control? Listen, children, that they watch. Probably, as far as I know, everybody in here claims to be Christian. You are defining what that means as your children watch you. you. You are defining what it means to treat a husband right, to treat a wife right. They're watching. And, um, you know, it doesn't do them any good to listen to you tear their other parent down. Somebody turned in the question, uh, should we fight in front of the children so they learn how to disagree? Uh, What I would say is, is this, if your disagreement is over them, never have that disagreement in front of them. In front of your children, you ought to be a unified team, even if privately you're on opposite pages. Uh, If you disagree well and the issue is not over them, I think it's good for them to see how you handle disagreements. It's learned behavior. Now, if if you're still at the place in your life where you don't handle disagreements well, keep them all in private. (laughs) Uh, One of the most difficult things uh, about divorce is very often uh, the children become pawns. And I would just say to you, for those of you who've been through that, or those of you who are talking to your friends who are going through that, one of the best pieces of advice that you'll ever get them is don't destroy their biological parent. If they're really that bad, they will destroy themselves. They, they will. Number four. Advice for handling our words. Avoid bringing up the past. I I know almost everything that happens has context. And and so I I get it. At, at, At times it is a part of the conversation. But as much as possible, when you've really forgiven someone for something, to continually bring it up, it doesn't help actually settle the disagreement. It just picks at a scab. Number five, go back to Proverbs chapter 10 and we'll close. Say good because I want to go out here and have a disagreement over what you said with my spouse. Well, you've got 15 minutes before church starts to disagree, so that'll work. Uh, I happen to believe disagreeing is healthy. I I think when we disagree in in, in good manner, I, I think it's a good thing. Sometimes Shannon will just say to me, I disagree. Good. I don't say that. "Ah, mm, Sorry to hear that, hon. By the way, don't ever think that I or she have all this stuff perfectly down. These are biblical principles that we work and strive to bring into our home, and the better we do them, the better our home has become. And any time we fail to do them, the worse it is. Here's number five. Avoid talking too much. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. <laughs> I really like this. It says, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. He that refraineth his lips is, is wise. Did you see the first half of that? The more you talk, the more you're going to sin when you talk. And if you've learned to refrain from speaking, that's an evidence of wisdom. Now, some people are talkers. Uh, I was talking to the youth leaders, and they were uh, talking about a a girl that was in one of their rooms. They said she talks from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to sleep. Uh, It's always good to be careful how much you speak, and especially so when you're angry. You know, there's a a lot of wisdom between just saying, you you know what, this conversation is not going anywhere good, let's just pause, let's let's just take 30 minutes, and let's just come back together and and, and talk about it then. There is just power in stepping away. I've been in counseling sessions where uh, sometimes it's a wife, sometimes it's a husband, and, and one of them tries to walk away and the other one just follows them around the house. Please don't do that. One of the best things you ever do is when you recognize a situation. Remember we were talking about with text, when you recognize a situation is getting tense, one of you has to have the the character and the wisdom to say, let's finish this in person, not over text. You know, when you recognize a disagreement is getting a a little heated, one of you just needs to be able to say, hey, you know what, let's just talk about this again in 30 minutes avoid talking too much remember when we talked about communication that part of communication is listening and those of you who are like me you're the talker in your relationship I'm not a good listener I'm working on it but avoid talking too much that's the end of our class next week we'll talk some more you should have a pink piece of paper If you have any sort of a question, uh, write it. If you don't have a question, just put something on there like, uh, What's that red pin on your lapel? Or, um, How did you survive a week with four young children and four dogs? Who had more trouble being a parent again, you or your wife? I'll give you a hint, it wasn't her. And just stick him up here in this, whoever made the nice can for us, just stick them in the nice can. Thank you, whoever did it. Hey, Grace.